the Nobody's Famous Podcast. All right, guys, we are back on the Nobody's Famous Podcast. Welcome back to the new season. We have an amazing guests lined up. And today we are uh, online with the one and the only Nasser Al-Sughair. It's a big, big pleasure to have you. How are you doing today? Thank you so much, Ali, for the welcome. Uh, wonderful. Really good evening. Having a good day. And it's perfect time for us to have this conversation. Awesome. Awesome. I, I, uh, I really thank you for being on the show. And um, just so you know, this is you are part of the new season, the brand new uh, season of the Nobody's Famous uh, podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, I want to do a quick intro of you to see if I get it right. And we'll see, we'll take it from there. But uh, uh, as I said, it's a pleasure to have you. You have an amazing uh, journey, uh, uh, Nasser, that's worth sharing from the point that you, you left your job to found, found, uh, founding your own company called The Human Lab. And where you teach people to be human, which is um, a simple message that is very much needed. You know, like you never hear that. Teach somebody to be human. Amazing. And you yourself are a creative person. You're poetic and uh, you, you lean towards the creative left side of the brain. Having known that you actually <laughs> um, are in a company that is probably more right, uh, right-sided brain, I think, correct me if I'm wrong. And um, yeah, I mean, this is a short intro of who you are. And uh, basically I have, this is my first question to you. Okay, you are, um, I was reading your profile um, on your website and you are such a specific and detailed person in how you know yourself and how you explain to others what you know about yourself. And, 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 and before I get into this point, I wanna touch on the message that you actually sent to our account on Instagram. Where oh you wow, said, you still have that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I wanna to touch on this point before getting into that. You, you, you messaged me saying you've turned down many opportunities to be quote unquote famous, uh, various TED talks, interviews, uh, podcasts, what have you. So why did you choose to, to message us? Because the podcast spoke exactly what I'm looking for. Nobody's famous. I don't know if that was planned or not from your side, but definitely that's how I received it. Nobody's famous. And I'm like, hell yeah, let me actually go on this podcast while I've been rejecting so many podcast interviews to explain my message because it sometimes needs to be explained. So why not? I was like, hell yeah. And then you took it all on. We welcomed me. So that's wonderful. And we're here now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was reading your message and I was like, this is the exact person that I was looking for. I was looking for this person who kind of got it. And to answer your question, it was on purpose, but you know, I kind of came up with the name with Alex in a way, like we both kind of came up with the name. And initially it was, was supposed to be only a voice kind of thing, but I told him I always wanted to do shows so people can see the reactions of people and see that. But we wanted to go for something where we could just have anyone and everyone that people can learn from their stories and ordinary people. Like why should we have people who are only famous on the show 
and, and all that. So uh, I think with you, we hit we hit the the point home then, which is which is great. So so that that's good to know. Um, so I want to take it back to how much you know about yourself. It's it's quite phenomenal to see someone so in tune with how you organize your life. Like basically, you you organize it down to the level of your the, the socks that you wear, what you eat, what you let into your life, and what you do. I, I, my first question about this point is: I'm curious to know, was there a moment in your life that made you make this change, or were you always like this? Um, I think it happened at a time around 2015, 2016, when I started my journey of, like, first of all, it, it started with me being shocked that I am actually living a life that is not aligned with, with my like values and what I stand for. And it feels like, some, it felt like something was off back then. So you talked about the right brain. I come from an engineering background. I have two degrees in engineering. Um, and I don't work and I worked for some time in the engineering fields in different jobs in one of the top multinational companies that was like, this is exactly not who I am. And I know, like, I know I enjoy it and I enjoy exercising the right parts of the brain, but then I'm also aware that there are other parts of me and other sides of me that are not explored. And so having that gap of like between what I really, who I really am and what I'm doing right now feels like something is off. And so I started my journey of trying to answer this question, who am I? And like, what are my values? Because I have values that I'm not even aware of. I have some that I'm aware of and I have others that I'm not aware of. So it started with that. It started with every single identity crisis that I've gone through. And in all that confusion, finding clarity in that confusion was something that I was looking for. Um, and so at some point, um, it became like, oh, I actually know a lot about myself. Let me just create this website about myself, which is NasserAl.com. And then I will just put everything out there, like literally everything. And it's not for anybody. It's not like I'm really showing it to, like it's public, yes, but it's for me. It's it's like, imagine it's a, it's a book, a bibliography, whatever, like something that, that is like, a, um, like something that, that ha has a list of everything that is about you. And then against each, you have, <laughs> you have references of what made you you and like it's really just like a book but it's a published website and so yeah that's that helps me stay on track on building up of my life and also taking down stuff adding stuff taking down stuff adding stuff you might probably find my credit card details somewhere over there if you look this is up. what i'm afraid of actually because <laughs> when i was reading the website i was like okay this guy this guy knows himself and it's, it's the left side of the brain creating this website and the, the simplistic design and the very minimal feel to it. But it's the right side that's writing the information because it's so detailed. It's like, this is my favorite drink. This is my favorite food. This is what I like to do. This is what I don't like to do. So, so I can see both and it shows that you can handle both uh, really well. But, but I really like the way that you, um, you know, um, laid it out. And, and this kind of leads me to my um, my next question because I want you know the audience to learn more about you because I'll be honest with you, Nasser, reading reading that website and reading a few things about you, I don't know where to start. I don't know what like I have a traumatic so many, experience. <laughs> I, I was like, I have so many questions for this guy, 
and I don't know where to start. And, and um, we'll, just, we'll just ease into it. So, so my next question is, explain don't hide your magic. Oh, sure, of course. So that's something that I found by chance, by a planned coincidence back in 2017. Uh, so that's a star pin that I'm wearing, if you can see it. Um, and it says, don't hide your magic. And this star pin um, is something that I found on the way when I was in the US in a conference that I just happened to found, like I found online by chance. It's called the World Domination Summit. Again, what you heard is right, the World Domination Summit. And it's not what you think, but it's close enough to what you think. And so I just found it online and it just said that we are on a mission to answer this question. How can we live a remarkable life in a conventional world? And I heard that and I was like, this is me. That's my question because I feel like this is what I've been trying to answer. And I didn't feel like I belong. Like I always feel like there is a missing like sense of belonging within the space around me and the misalignment that I was talking about earlier. So anyways, I just basically just booked the ticket over there. And um, that was the, like nine, 10 months before the conference time. Um, not knowing anybody in the US, never been to the US before. And just uh, a month before I walked onto the consulate in the US, uh, like uh, the consulate of US here in Dubai. And I just basically applied for a visa and they asked me, why are you going? Well, like, why are you applying for this tourist visa? And then I said, I'm going to the World Domination Summit. And it's like, boom, I get a rejection stamp. Like immediate rejection, <clears throat> like nothing to think about. Your visa's rejected. And so I come back and I say, I hate my passport. I hate everything about my nationality. And you know, sometimes these things come as barriers, appear as barriers. And then, I, and then two really dear friends of mine who encouraged me to reapply again. So I applied and I walked into the consulate a week after, and then I came in, but this time I was applying for a business visa. And then I said, I'm applying for a business visa. I said, why are you applying for a business visa? And then I paused for a second. And then I say, I'm going to attend the World Domination Summit. Again, because I don't lie and I don't want to lie and I'm not doing anything wrong. And this conference exists on your land. So if you have a problem with that, fix that first. But let me in. If there is something that exists there, let me in. I want to see it. And so I got the approval. And then I flew all the way to the US. Um, and just, it was a, a solo adventure, not knowing anybody over there, not knowing what the hell's going on. It's a wonderful community that I came to know. And I kept going to that conference every single year afterwards. Um, and then that pen appeared in 2017, they distributed it. And behind it, there was a, a poem, a beautiful poem that spoke to don't hide your magic. Um, yeah, it starts with something like that. I'm not gonna say it full, but just to give you an idea, don't hide your magic, please share your gift. Seeing you shine brings the whole world a lift. It's okay for wizards to be quiet or shy, but hiding your magic is a crime. And so it goes on and on. And then that pin is basically a reminder of my connection with the community, but also it's a reminder of my, of a deeper, um, of a deeper part of myself that I keep hiding. And that part is, um, is the shy part of me is that part that doesn't want to come out fully. Um, and yeah, just, I touch my pen every single time I forget that. And it's, I've been wearing it for three years straight since then, every single day. I, I was just going to say that. And, and I completely, um, I completely agree with this, uh, this message that it sends. Um, 
you know, uh, many people on the show have heard me say this a thousand times, but I was always uh, searching for, quote unquote, the magic somewhere else outside of me. And then I found out that actually I only had to look inside myself. And um, both me and you are saying the same point right now that sometimes you might be looking for something outside of the material world, but you realize that your talent, your your strength, your potential, it's all there. You just need to sit down with yourself, understand what are your capabilities and hone your skills. And then you can, and, and, and I think it's, it's great message that you have that you, you keep reminding yourself to no longer probably be shy and don't have to always be an introvert or, or always an extrovert. You can always be uh, an ambivert and, convert yourself to being that type of person that can handle all the situations and let people know, let people know you are talented. Definitely. So I completely agree. Absolutely. Like it's about, as you said, right brain, left brain. Um, and then the creative side, the logical side, the, like all those polarities I'm really interested in. If I'm on this side, how does it feel being on the other side? And if I'm on the other side, how does it feel being on this side? And it's just, it's, it's life. Like if we don't explain, try attempt to explore every corner in life then there must be something that we're missing out on but it's not a feeling of like anxiety mm. that it's not like a chase when like, i'm missing out on something oh no it's just like i'm curious i find something and like what is that oh let me check it out just like the website and there are millions of other examples of like leads that i found and then i go there and then it leads me to something else and then i go there so it's kind of like um a very patient pursuit of the hidden and the mysterious Yes, you have a pursuit for, for knowledge and you approach it in a very patient way, which is, uh, is difficult to do nowadays. A lot of people need to know everything right now. And I think it's good advice that you give that it's okay to not know everything at the same moment. And, and, and it's good to take the time to learn things at your own pace. And you learn faster that way in the future, definitely. Um, my next question for you, Nasser, is let's let's take it to let's take it to the human lab. I want to know what are you doing to teach <laughs> to teach people how to be humans, why you did this, and maybe a third question while you're answering the first two is what advice would you give to uh, aspiring entrepreneurs, as you are one yourself, given the big change, the big risk that you took. The Human Lab is, um, is an interactive space. It's uh, less of a school and less of an academy or any training institute and more of a space, uh, a virtual space that exists um, and accessible for, to everybody. And in that interactive space, um, we create structures and uh, games and activities as, um, as a fun way of helping people access parts of themselves that they're not able to access in real life. So it's a safe space for people to feel themselves like fully, but also a brave space to try to lean into our edge and try something new. And so part of being human is this polarity that I just explained, uh, that I was talking about, that there is, for example, I'm afraid, but I really want to connect with you. Um, I want to really like, logically plan for this, but then my heart is telling me that I want, I should go and try something different. Um, 
And so there's always these polarities that exist of like, I should do this, but then that thing is telling me to do something different. And uh, so we hide those parts of ourselves, our shadows, they're called shadows. We internalize them and we don't speak about them. And so the human lab is about accessing all these parts in a brief space and um, attempting to see the human and every single corner in the human being of ourselves. And that happens in a space where we connect with each other. So the games and activities are highly designed to challenge every single individual and every participant whilst also connecting them with others. So it's a conversation and a dialogue in a very fun way that combines physical and um, verbal. So we do these right now on Zoom, uh, the group experiences, and I can take up to hundreds in one group uh, experiences. We've done so far um, group experiences for uh, 300 people since the beginning of July, since I moved everything online. Nice. Um, to, to your question, I love your second question uh, because it speaks to something that I've been struggling with. Um, I don't believe, first of all, I don't believe in advice. So anything that I say is not an advice. It's, um, it's more of like a sharing my experience, but also allowing you to, it's an invitation and an offer that you, you can feel free to say, hey, this doesn't apply to me. Um, so back in March, um, the Human Lab was founded back in uh, beginning of 2019. So it's been on for like a year and yeah. a half when the time of the crisis arrived in March. So around that time in March, um, I actually got calls from my clients. Um, all my clients, every single one of them said, hey, we're actually postponing this face-to-face -face in person because I used to do all these trainings and group experiences and workshops face-to-face. -face. And um, I was like, yeah, okay, postpone until when? They're like, we'll come back to you. But then over time for the following two months, it turns out to be that this means canceled, postponement canceled. Um, and so I witnessed my business going from a place of like growing a potential that's growing and then seeing more clients coming in into a place of like absolutely zero um, revenue, nothing happening, no clients, back to scratch. That was an interesting moment because I, the following few months, I actually spent them in quarantine. I was living with, my, I, I'm living with my parents still now. And it, it, it's been really tough, like staying with your loved ones in the same place. And uh, a lot of things start surfacing. Um, and um, I actually have been numbing myself and just watching as many things as possible over months. And my sleep was, I was sleeping by sunrise and it's been really like one of the most interesting experiences that I've ever had. Quarantine, very difficult and interesting at the same time. Um, but then by July, uh, when the quarantine and the, the restrictions were lifted on the morning, so I started going out in the morning and connecting with nature. That's something that I wasn't able to do. So that connection has helped me come back and rethink my business. And I started accepting the idea of going online because I was totally against the mm -hmm. idea of running these workshops online. So ever since July, I started doing these workshops and experimenting um, without actually having to, like having a chance to generate any revenues. It was more experimentation and launching these public sessions. Um, and after two months, I've arrived to a place where I really know my craft, how to do it online. Um, I would say that for every entrepreneur out there, I like as an as a entrepreneur right now, I'm not established at all. And my business is barely making any money. Um, literally it died, but I'm kind of, I'm not reviving my business. I'm more free, not even recreating my business. I'm actually starting from the scratch. I'm not thinking what worked before and how I can change it and move it online, but more of, what does the world need right now? 
if I'm starting from scratch right now, what worked before worked in the context of before COVID. Cody, and now the context and the, the context and the environment is totally different. So the best question to ask ourselves as entrepreneurs right now, in my opinion, is to ask, what does the world need? Everything that I've done before is gone. And from now on, what does the world need ongoing for the next, say, 10 years, 20 years? Because it's never been uncertain like this, but also like I hear it a lot from people saying it's very uncertain, but also equally, it's never been more certain than this time, which is coming back to polarities and yep. like the same thing up is true. Yes, it's uncertain, but it's also certain. There are many certainties that we have. We know that, that the crises are not going like, to evaporate within a day or two. So we have a certainty that this is going on for some time. What am I going to do to tap into needs that were created by that situations that I'm in? I'm not talking about market needs. I'm talking about human needs. Human needs, yeah. Uh, what does Ali want? What does Ali need right now versus what Ali needed before? Maybe Ali needed a shoe before COVID, like wanted to buy a new shoe that had colors in it, but it's not a priority anymore for Ali. Ali has much more important priorities right now. So what are his needs? So I think that is the main question that I would want to um, offer to every entrepreneur out there. And depending on their business, depending on what you're looking for exactly, are your interests, your set of skills, your um, um, what you offer in, of knowledge and skills and interests um, will be something that will, you know, be tailored towards meeting that need that exists today. Uh, I, I agree. And I think I want to add two things to what you said. One of them is just coming out from advice from what we've been through as well is my first piece of advice to add to what you said is there will never be a right time. So there will never be a right time. It's it all before, you know, it was uncertain. Now it's worse. There will never be a right time. So, and, and then the second point to add to the first point is as long as you start, that's, that's, that's it. You're, you're already on the way to success. You just need to start. And there's an amazing quote about that is, you know, if you start, you're already ahead. I don't know who said that. Uh, somebody said, an entrepreneur said that. As long as you start, you're ahead. And I, I, I really, really agree with that. And we've, we've said it on the show even before, and we were always stuck in, in, you know, oh, should we do it like this? Let's make it perfect. Let's do this. Let's do that. Just start. Khalas. Make it happen. And you're already one step ahead. You don't need to figure out the hundred problems, the solution to the hundred problems in the, in the first day. Just solve one of them now and the other 99 can wait and you'll solve them along the way. And I think this is, this is I just wanted to add to, to what you said because it makes uh, absolute sense. And, and, and um, Love that. And, 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 um, and my next question to you is uh, coming off of the human lab and how you mentioned how you do these public talks is where do you find the courage to do your public uh, speaking? Ah, yeah, of course. It came from my, um, first of all, it came, from, it came from practice and practice didn't just come in the space of like speaking in the context of how we think of speaking. We think of a speaking like a, an audience and we have to present something, an idea. So that is one way that I practiced. Um, so I've delivered hundreds of workshops and talks over like um, two years, over like two years, 2017, 2018. And that was an experience that really built my confidence. Additionally, 
I was also living a nightlife. So I had a day life of like, oh, workshops, talks and everything. And that helped, but it didn't help as much as the nightlife helped. And when I say nightlife, I mean theater. Um, so my nightlife was spent in theater. I was um, acting and uh, creating shows. And those are not just any shows. They were improvisational theater. So improvisational theater shows are shows that are unscripted. We come on stage. We absolutely have no idea what we're going to say. We may take a suggestion from the audience, just maybe a word or maybe just an interest or something that they feel right now. And then we built a whole show that could last for an hour based on that basically pretty much like almost nothing as a start. Um, so having in that space of practicing a, an unbounded, unrestricted space of public speaking and like your worst nightmare is not knowing what you want to say and then having an audience waiting for you to say something has, um, has actually helped me so much in building that public speaking skill. I, I reached a point where it's not a public speaking skill. It's less about that, but more, I would call it improvisational Improvisation. skill. Because what's the difference between speaking to one person and an audience? For me, I don't see any difference anymore because it can be really difficult to speak to one person with a higher status. Um, if I'm afraid of one person, then I'm terrified. And if I'm afraid of a full audience of like hundreds or thousands of people, then I'm also terrified. But then it's not really about the number. It's, it's something that we have inside of us. That fear is coming from a place from our past. Um, and the only way, yes, you can, um, you know, go to all kinds of tips and tactics and ways of how you can overcome your public speaking fear. But then eventually it's about practices everybody say. Um, and additionally, it's not just about only practice, but also realizing as you practice, where's this fear um, feeling in your body? Mm -hmm. Where does it come from your past? And what does it make it personal as a fear to you? Um, that what is um, the actual work in the practice. It's not the practice once again itself. It's the work of analyzing while practicing. Where does this fear come from? Where is from? it coming from? Yeah, I, yes. I, um, you're, you're right because we actually, um, quite a while back, I was in a course where we were, you know, uh, it was about presenting. And one of the key takeaways I remember from that course was you are scared. You know, when you present to an audience, you are scared because you, you care what they think about your presentation, which I'm not saying is wrong. I'm saying is that you care because you want to give them something good. This is why you're scared. It's a, it's a natural response to something like that. You are worried that you might not give a good job rather than you are worried that you can't speak publicly. You can see the difference actually. Is right. that you have the ability to speak publicly because as you said, it could be one person or a hundred people, but that one person might be Bill Gates and you're really like, scared to, oh my God, it's Bill Gates or how, what am I going to say? Uh, but yet you might surprise yourself doing a presentation to a hundred people, which actually is probably worse because it's, it's more people. You, you just have the, that's a natural human fear. So I think I, you, it's very important how you said is to classify the difference between um, practicing, uh, what the practice teaches you, but also while you're practicing to realize where is that fear coming from? And where do you feel it as well? Do you feel it in your stomach? Do you feel it in your knees? Do you feel it in your throat? For me, I start to lose my voice uh, if I public speak because uh, I'm just, uh, and I am just like, I'm lost, you know? So um, 
I think it's great advice. And I think uh, it takes me to my next question, actually, which you probably answered, uh, is, is how does the improv and acting moving away from public speaking, how does that tie into who you are as a person? You are, you're, you're a minimalist. Uh, you, um, you try to avoid as many distractions as possible. Did improv and acting help you do that? Did you train your brain to just respond to situations? Or again, is that separate from uh, your nat natural, that's who you are, is separate from improv and acting? I have no background at all in arts. I'm not talking about background in theater. I'm saying background in arts, like not even painting. I'm, I'm actually a colorblind. So when I was a kid, when I was a child, I used to paint and I would um, paint the trunk of the tree green and the, and the flower and the roses um, brown. And, uh, and uh, the, the, the sun, I would, uh, I would uh, like really, really paint it in light green. So, and then it took me time. I only realized that when I was 17 years old, when I was going through the, the science book saying this like circles and saying, I'm actually like, I don't see the number. Like the test, the colorblind test. If you don't see the number, then you're colorblind. And I thought that I was missing the number, but this is how I discovered I was colorblind. And so it's not really about the colorblindness that I didn't try art, but it was also a barrier for me to try the least forms of like um, child art at, the, at that point. So even in my childhood, I never tried art as much. And so I've come across something called theater, all of a sudden something called improv, which was a form of like games and activities that helped uh, people to improvise on the spot, play games on the spot. It's not really creating scenes, but just playing games on the spot. Um, and then from there, that took me to theater. And that just didn't like, take me all to improvisational theater. It took me to immersive theater. It took me to scripted theater. It took me to puppetry. It took me to clowning. It took me to all different sides of, um, uh, of theater. And that was a quite a wonderful experience. So when we talk about arts and how it influenced me, like arts opened up a world for me to live in a way that is totally against everything that I was raised with. Um, we live in an Arab culture and uh, in like, I live in an Arab culture and you're an Arab as well. So we have this, um, these rules that are implicit. We have these rule books that are virtual flying in the sky that we, that we're not told explicitly about them, but we know that you becoming an engineer is the ultimate goal. You becoming uh, someone who is like um, holding money in his hand or her hands, and that's gonna be the ultimate goal. Um, someone with status and power. But then when you come to arts, that just shatters all limitations, all beliefs about what you are supposed to be doing. So arts helped me in shattering every single structure that I had, even though I'm a structured person. Um, and from there, it took me to places of like, okay, so what does it feel like to actually get rid of everything, all my belongings? Oh, cool. I discovered minimalism back in 2017. So that's like, it's been three years since I started actually even more than that. And then I started just throwing away my stuff and decluttering and just everything that I have in my life fits in one bag. And if I have a fire, I just run with that bag and that's it. My life is over and I'll be more than happy. I've got everything in my hand. So minimalism, arts, they all have actually activated a part of a side of me that never really existed in my life. Um, and um, I don't know if I answered the question. Uh, and I don't know if that's exactly your question, if I remember correctly, but feel free to just let me know more about um, what is something we can explore? Like, 
I'm more than happy to also, anybody, if they like to approach me and ask questions about how to get involved in theater, how to try out stepping out of the familiar of the logical life, the structured life, the Arab life. <laughs> I'm more this than happy to. I think you, you touched on, you touched on a really a, a lot of different subjects there while, while uh, going through the question. It, it, it really brings me to, to my curiosity about you yourself is, do you, uh, do you think people should follow your type of, um, your type of lifestyle that is because for example minimalism I, I like it i like it in art i like it in movies i like it even in my my life i do like it to a certain extent but i'm the first to say i don't have one bag <laughs> that i can run out with i can i'm the first to say that i'm it'll probably be four to five bags so i'm the first to say that <laughs> but do you but do you think do you think that um this is something that when you share that to people that they will accept it because i think there's a lot of people that will probably disagree with for example some of the things i read i read about you which i found found really interesting is that you don't look at the news you don't look at sports you don't look at uh, politics you don't look at uh, certain things which i think is is great to at least have knowledge of because it's again a pursuit of knowledge but do you think that people should follow the same kind of way that you you have uh, put yourself under i love your question it it brings me back to the thing that i mentioned about advice i don't believe in the idea of advice and that's also part of the shattering the limitations and everything that we know of like oh if i need something that i've got to go and ask somebody who knows to tell me what to do so to start with i'm not offering an advice and nobody ever should ever live a life because somebody else is living it or somebody else that they follow on social media or admire because it's eventually it's a choice. And when we talk about minimalism, there's no definition of minimalism. There's no one definition of minimalism. It's about living with less, having less, owning less. But then it's not just about the physical world. It's also about the, any other worlds that exist. So for example, informational world, uh, if we talk about the news, it's information, it's data that we consume. So that's not physical. I'm not able to touch it, but it's there, it's out there, and it clutters my mind. Um, and and so I've, I've I've been struggling for some time when I was like around 2015, like 2016, that time when I was having my first quarter life crisis. Um, I was struggling with addiction, like being addicted to things that consume my time. Like I want to make a change in my life. I have my full-time job. I can't quit it, but I want to go back home and work on a transition plan so I can pave my way towards the things that I want to do that will make my life better or make my life more joyful. And then I go back home and I'm addicted to watching Champions Leagues and Bundesliga and, and watching all kinds of movies and series and uh, yeah, everything that you can think of that takes away the time that is supposed to be my time for myself. Still, it is my time for myself, but it's shared. It's shared with a, an interest um, in football players and uh, their goals of trying to win against a different team. It's shared with an interest of uh, watching news, for example, shared with the interest of the media group that I'm listening to. If it's polit politics, it's shared with the interest of some form of like group that is trying to promote some idea or whatever. And then these are just consumption of 
your space, your mind space, your physical space, your, your emotional space. And that space becomes addictive over time. And um, minimalism there worked really perfectly and well for me. But then what is the definition of that? Like, does it mean I need to stop all media channels or I could still keep one? It's up to you. It's totally up to you. The idea of letting go of things in your life to make space for things that you want to have or you're attracting in your life um, has no definition. And that's the beauty of it. So you can decide for yourself what is that amount um, of the Correct. thing that you're trying to attract or let go of. And, and also about letting go of things, that's very difficult because there is a sense that letting go of stuff is the same feeling, the same feeling of dying because I'm letting go of a part of me. So when you go into this work of minimalism, you're not really letting go of just like whatever my phone, like it's not that. I'm letting my emotional attachment to my phone, which I have built based on traumas from my past. Like, why am I attached to my phone? Because I have traumas from my past that says that I should be connected to the world. That if I don't have a phone, that if anybody tries to reach me, they can't reach me. And that's a big deal. Then I'm, what if something goes wrong and I'm in the street and I need to call for help, right? And I don't have a phone. So I keep my phone because I'm afraid of danger that if I lose it, that I may die. So it's to that extent, it goes to that extent. Um, so going to those spaces of unlearning, I think the key word that I wanna get to is unlearning. How can you unlearn? That's the key question that I think that is very relevant to today's, like to, to this time of like, we're talking about crises and cluttering, cluttered mind and not being able to, to know what to do. How can we unlearn what we once knew and we still hold on to. So we can allow space to receive the things that need to come our way, that we're not aware of what they are exactly. So yeah, unlearning is something that is beautiful and it's minimalism is just one concept. I love it, unlearning. And actually uh, you mentioning um, dying and death brings me to my final question because everything that you just said now, especially during a, a situation that is a pandemic is you you wrote that you think about death every single day and how you were mentioning about the phone and what if something happens somebody needs me and i'm always thinking of what's gonna happen what's the problem how can i solve it or somebody needs me or something's gonna happen while somebody's walking on the street and somebody i know and and stuff like that you said you think about death every single day and I, a long time ago, I wrote a blog post about how you lose the fear of death because you, you might find um, someone that you truly love. And I, I mean, I took this idea from Woody Allen's Midnight in Paris, where Ernest Hemingway tells Gil Pender, basically the, the main character of the movie, he tells him the speech that, you know, you can lose the fear of death by truly you know uh loving or making love to a woman that that you really love and from that blog post it i was talking about an experience that i felt and it just struck me that i wanted to ask you this question what that why why do you say that why do you say 
that you think about death every single day? Apart from the fear factor that you've mentioned. Yeah. I think first we want to take a big, deep breath. Everybody's listening, like take a deep breath because it's the most like difficult thing ever for a human being to think about the idea of mortality, like me vanishing and leaving everything that I ever know. It's the most terrifying thing ever to think about. And because it's the most terrifying thing we ever have to think about, we try not to think about and we deny death. When we deny death, probably everything that we do in our life can be traced back and linked to death. This, con this, this um, podcast is um, nobody's famous, right? Why do we pursue fame? Why do we pursue money? Why do we pursue status? Because we want to leave a mark in the world. Because we want to be remembered. And this idea of being remembered after we die is our action to really deny death. It's a response to our existing denial of death. If I don't really become famous, if I don't make lots of money, if I don't make lots of friends and I'm alone, I'm lonely, if I, whatever, go up to, if I don't have much, like so much status and power, so many likes on my platform, then I'm not gonna be remembered. And then when I die, I'll vanish. And I work really hard in this way. As a response, as a human being, I will start working really hard towards chasing those things. And um, as Jim Carrey says that you, I hope everybody, I think that's what he said. I hope everybody gets everything they want so they can realize at the end that this is not what they really wanted. Um, so, so death is something that I think about every single day because I want to respond to that part of me that denies it. Um, I want to respond and be in full embrace, which is a, a tough process to have. To think about death every single day is to be in complete discomfort and unknowing. But then that's the truth of life. It's a big truth of life. You can't The uncertainty. This. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, uh, I hope that answers the question. No, I think it, I think it does. We we got like super deep there, and and, and yes. it's it's definitely <laughs> a subject. Like it's definitely something that, you know, uh, I've you know experienced uh, myself as I mentioned when I asked the question. But but also I just really wanted to touch on, I wanted to take take your view on it because you just the way that you just put it out there, you just wrote it. And you're like, okay, this is what I feel every day. I think about death and it's because I need to, I need to speak to that part that says um, that, you know, it, it's true, it's happening. And I need to accept that fact rather than deny it. And you hit the nail on the coffin. It's just, um, it stems from, uh, from people's need to be remembered. And uh, I think it's, it's a way of kind of explaining, especially throughout history, how, why people did the things that they did right. because sometimes you can never read and find the answer but then you realize sometimes i'm talking about even great generals and in armies right. and and people who have done certain things in history at the end 
the deep-rooted cause might be just that they had to be remembered. I mean, there is a passion, there is a goal, there was a, a reason behind it. But again, that's always the secondary. The main reason is to make sure that you're remembered and and uh, leave that mark to say, this is the this is what was done. You know, this is this is what I did. This is the legacy that I leave, because of the pure fact that we are mortal. Um, right, and the primal and the primal part of the brain, that part is actually always fearful of dying and everything that whenever we respond to like reactive survival. to something, yeah. that's a survival part of our brain. Um, so yeah, I think it's very important to be and. I just want to really just want to add one important thing because the first thing that comes to your mind as you're listening to this, I was like, these are pessimistic people. They're not positive at all. They're just thinking about what, what is that look and view to life? Like thinking about death. And I value, if you think of this way, if you think of it this way, I value how you're thinking right now. And that is a, something that I appreciate. And I also feel that dark side and I feel that it makes me sad and I cry when I think about this, when I really remember it. It's not a, a pleasant and sweet uh, moment. But then at the same time, when we equate despair only to death and fear to death, we are giving power to death over us because we keep denying it and being afraid of it. Denial is a response to being afraid of death. Um, but then if we equate also celebration of life because death defines life. There is no impolarity when we're talking about that death makes life and life makes death. There is no death without life and life without death. If we live forever, then life does not have much meaning, meaning as much yes. as if there was the, yes. And um, so the, with life, with thinking about death, there is a, a, a beautiful feeling of like celebration, like in some uh, indigenous cultures and death is just a gateway. And even in religions, where it's a gateway to the next life, or it's something that to be celebrated where it's a continuation of life, that life will continue after you die, and that your contribution throughout your life and even your death is a contribution to the world to evolve to the next stage. It's part of life to lose, leave, let go of things. And it's part of life to start receiving and transforming and changing into the, whatever that next thing is. Well, no, sir, I don't want to say anything more because I want to leave it at that. Uh, I don't want to add more to that. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a perfect ending to that question. And I really want to thank you for being on the show with me. Uh, I, I want to thank you from, uh, from the bottom of my heart for you to be with us on the show. Um, and, and with that, we've reached the end. Uh, so, so I want to say thank you so much. Uh, is there any last words that you would like to say? I would just say um, to everybody out there, if you want to become famous, this is not the show to be in. <laughs> just don't be on this show. This is the last place you want to be in. Um, but, if, but of course, you're welcome to want to become famous. You're welcome not to want to become famous. It's, it's solely up to you. Um, Ali, uh, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, to be with you and this lovely conversation and the questions also, they were really, really great questions that also kept me thinking about things. So thank you. The pleasure is all mine, uh, Nasser. And with that, guys, I want to say that we have uh, concluded this episode of the Nobody's Famous podcast. Make sure you check us out on all the regular platforms, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Pocket Casts, 
tune in digital podcasts oh my god i'm missing all the names now and uh make sure you watch the episode on youtube as well um and uh, we'll be with you all the way thanks again nasser it's been an absolute pleasure and this is ali signing off